Hello, welcome to Behind the Scenes with me, Colin Edmonds, a podcast in which people working in entertainment, behind the cameras, kindly share with us their never-before-heard anecdotes and stories. These are voices you don't often hear. I also chat with performers and actors to get a glimpse behind the glamour, the business behind the show. If you enjoy our podcast and like to consider becoming a Patreon member and support the podcast further, please check out the Patreon link below. Also, if you're interested in any of my steampunk murder mystery novels, then please go to steamsmokeandmirrors.com. And I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Cue the music, Marky. Taking us behind the scenes this time is a broadcaster who has been addressing the microphone with her unique style of sharp, witty and self-deprecating banter for more than 35 years. On BBC Radio 2, as the morning drive-time travel reporter, her relentlessly funny exchanges with the greats of the broadcasting industry, Sir Terry Wogan, Ken Bruce and latterly Chris Evans, became essential listening. In fact, rolling out of bed and shuffling off to work was never quite the same since she left. For the past few years, she's been brightening Sunday afternoons with her own music and chat show on BBC Radio Wales, attracting big-name A-lister guests and record audiences. So I'm doubly thrilled, not to say a little daunted, to welcome the magnificent Ms Lynn Bowles. Hello, Colin. Now, a couple of things already with this. Can we just go through this? 35 years, you said you'd never mentioned that. <laughs> Secondly... Secondly, can you, can, I don't know, can, can you laminate what you've just said so I can put it up in my bedroom? Because it was awfully nice and uh, relentlessly funny. Uh, that has never been said. No, 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 no. I'm not having that. That's, I'm just an idiot, as we both know. No, no. Well, let me say it. Let me put it on record because your banter, <laughs> but your banter with those great luminaries of broadcasting always used to reduce me to, to fits of laughter. Seriously. Because you're, you're a hopeless idiot as well. I mean, no, no, that, that is very kind of you because uh, genuine, genuinely now uh, to be even mentioned in the same sentence as those guys is lovely. But I was just hanging on to their coattails and trying to keep up with them. But they, uh, they made me laugh. It was wonderful. Yeah. I've got to get to come to those guys. Um, yeah. Very, very shortly. But I want, can you help me, please indulge me? Can you allow me to achieve a long held ambition with Lynn Bowles? Mm hmm. Okay, I'm going to say it okay. in my be in my best Ken Bruce voice. What's happening on the roads, Lynn? Like he's here. That's was that was disturbing. Uh, well, I'm so glad you asked me. Uh, right, so it's a Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Uh, it'll be busy in all the wrong places. There you are. <laughs> um, Round shopping centres. Exactly that. Absolutely. I've always wanted to say that. It's just great. Well, thank you. You know, thank you, thank I'm you. glad to have helped you with that. I'll go to my grave happy now. <laughs> it's a good job you've got a low bar for happy. <laughs> Let's begin with the great man, uh, Sir Terry mm. Wogan. Yeah. And you're being part of that legendary team, that wake up to Wogan team. Every morning when you went to work, it must have been like a pinch me moment, wasn't it? You know, that's a really interesting question for me because it wasn't. And 
I'll tell you, as we say in Wales, I'll tell you for why. Um, when I first started working for Radio 2, I was brought in to deal with, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, clicking my fingers here. Oh, Ken Bruce, that's it. And <laughs> I, was, I was brought in to muck him out, basically. You know, you know, go into the stables, you know, make sure he's got enough water and oats. And uh, so, so but, but they couldn't just have me doing that because that's not a proper job. I don't know if you noticed that. That's a ridiculously stupid job. <laughs> so they had to keep me there for longer. So what I did was I wrote the travel for Sarah Kennedy to read out in the early morning, early breakfast. And then for the likes of Boggy Marsh and uh, Deadly Allen Coat and um, Fran. Uh, what was that? Corporal, Fra- Corporal Godfrey. That's what we called mm. um, to to read out. So I was there all the time. So I, on my first day, I was there, you know, tapping away, doing it. And uh, Terry came in behind me because I was literally in a cupboard, by the way. And I'm not joking when I say that. This was Radio 2. I was in a cupboard next to the big coffee machine that gave you soup that tasted like, I don't know what, or always orange juice and stuff, weird <laughs> stuff. I was right next to that. Terrible coffee. Um, again, not a joke that we took. We joke about this because it's true. And he came in, he just went, hey, hi, hello. And that was it. You were in. Oh, that was it. Wow. Um, and I got used to seeing him and it just wasn't, wasn't a big deal, which sounds ridiculous. And I remember then, some years down the line, some years down the line, I was sitting opposite him in a very flash studio because we'd moved by then because the old studios were awful. Um, and I was sitting opposite him on a beautiful day and I looked out the window and I suddenly had that moment where he's like, hang on, the bloke opposite me is Sir Terry Wogan, the one of the finest broadcasters ever to broadcast on the BBC. I'm sitting opposite him and in a minute he's going to open that mic and talk to me and 15 million other people or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, heaven. I suddenly had a, oh, oh. And it took me a long time. I'm very stupid, Colin. It took me a long time to work it out. Who never it said? It, 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 is that, it is that moment when you think, oh, I had it once with, okay, here's a name, Clang. Yeah, I go on. Sitting in, sitting in Barbara Windsor's Muse house around the back oh. of Broadcasting House. And I actually sat there and thought, that's Barbara Windsor. And That's Barbara Windsor. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, suddenly? Yeah. So, so hang on. Spin back a tiny bit, if we may, please. Yeah. So you're yeah. typing up these travel reports yeah. which are coming in from various sources and i don't know how yeah. you, you get information neither did i sources. neither did i yeah at what point did someone say to you do you want to do this um well they knew i could hmm. uh because i'd been doing it obviously with ken and you don't <laughs> you don't broadcast with ken bruce hmm. <laughs> and them keep you on if you're rubbish hmm. uh so they knew i could do that um and i think what it was um I went, I went, I can't remember why, but they suddenly realised, why have we got Lynn sitting there like a lemon? Because <laughs> I did a lot of that. <laughs> when we, we, could, we could just get her on and she, then, then they wouldn't, she wouldn't have to write, I don't know, somebody just finally decided that I wasn't a total twerp and that I should, I should maybe add something to, or, or maybe take something away. And that's when I started a couple of years later. They thought, oh, all right, go on then, if you must. <sighs> you yeah. know how the BBC Yes. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard really to understate how successful and popular that particular show was. I mean, we both have it on pretty good authority between you, me and the bedpost Mm -hmm. that the Mm -hmm. Queen used to listen to Sir Terry in the morning. Mm -hmm. Yes. So when Sir Terry threw to you, said, what's what's how's the old roads now? (laughs) Um, 
a terrible impression. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, terrible. I've been practicing that for 20 I mean, years. That's rubbish. <laughs> Did you ever get nervous? No. Mm. No, not with him. Definitely not with him. Um, I, I've been doing it quite a long time, to be honest with yeah. you. I mean, because despite my youthful good looks, I'm very old. And he and I'd, I'd, I'd been on Radio 5 Live for eight years, eight, nine years before that, yeah. um, dealing with some of those guys uh and before that i'd done commercial radio so i was kind of used to being on air and that's helpful mm. and then it's just about I, I, like you say then it's just about the person you're dealing with right then and he was so lovely you couldn't be you couldn't be concerned about it yeah, yeah. probably on the first day i was i don't remember i was probably a bit kind of, oh, no i'll be fine thanks <laughs> no, slightly <laughs> higher register um but he was so he was so lovely and he he is the guy who named me the totty from splot ah. uh, the splot tot and i think it was literally the first time i spoke to him on air hmm. um and of course they say oh well here's lynn you know she's gonna be like blah, blah, blah. so where are you from little card uh, and off i go and then immediate because his audience was so good they were on it i mean they were really a member of the team the audience definitely mm. And I think someone immediately fired him a text or an email saying, if Bowles is from Cardiff, I bet she's from Splot. Splot mm-hmm. is an area in Cardiff. It really is an area in Cardiff. <laughs> but the sainted canon Roger Royal, the loose canon, as we called him, is from <laughs> Splot. He was born and brought up there. Um, he was born in Splot Vicarage, Splot Road, Splot, um, as we call it. Uh, and it's a particular area of Cardiff. It's quite... It, was originally quite a poor area could be you know but i mean it's completely different now and it's mm. a great name so he loved it completely tickled him mm. uh, he loved the idea of splot so he called me the top from splot Totty yeah. from Floy, you know brilliant and Talk once you get your nickname once you get your you've been oh, uh, bestowed with that super k you are part of the team uh, you are bound to them with hoops of steel and it was a remarkable team with Charles Nove, uh, the aforementioned Alan Dedicote, and uh, and John Marsh, old boggy. Oh, what uh, a voice! What a voice that guy had, mm. or has. Still, yeah. yeah, I think he's still got it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and actually, or oh, uh, Charles has got a magnificent Celtic brogue to his voice, oh. and of course, silent but deadly, uh, an old yeah. chum. Uh, yeah. You know, it's. I suppose you know we've all got voices which are, well, well <laughs> says he, with the most uncharacterful voice ever, <laughs> ever to address a microphone. I won't but have I, it said. I think you've got to have an underlying personality as well, which the audience can kind of cleave to. Do you think? I suppose so. Or do, or do, or do they imbue you with some sort of a... Oh, I oh. I, you know, I don't know. You know, you, maybe your voice says certain things about you. Um, mm. Mm. I, I, you know, I don't know. I maybe you, genuinely, you tell me. Do, do you think that's it? I no. I think the crowd's got to like you. If they yeah. like you, they'll run with you. And if they don't like you, then they won't. Uh, and and clearly, you have a likable for some extraordinary reason. You have this immensely likable and appealing voice. <laughs> well, that's helpful. That is helpful. You know, I, I was um, I was sent an interview with Terry quite recently. It must have been done in nineteen eighty. And he was, it's an extraordinary interview, actually. I don't know if it's actually going to go on the telly or anything. But he speaks about being on the radio and being in the business 
in a very articulate way. He, I mean, he really understood mm. the media. Um, it, should, it should be required viewing for anyone who wants to be in radio or TV. And his attitude was, if they like you, they like you. If they don't like you, they'll probably never like you. Mm. And he was absolutely right. That's yes. how it is. And, yes. and you know what? The other, the other thing is, and Ken and I used to talk about this quite a lot, is warmth. Um, and that's really important in broadcasting, I think, and whether you come across as a warm person or not. And the odd thing is about warmth is, one, you can't fake it. Two, um, you either have it or you don't. Um, but sometimes those who have no warmth whatsoever in real life come across as warm. And some lovely people, through, through the medium of the microphone, it doesn't come across at all. It's just luck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the most charismatic and beautiful people in the world stick a TV camera on them and it's lost. It blurs. It's like Vaseline's been rubbed over the lens. It's, it's, it is, it, it, it's very strange, but it, I think what you and that Wogan team had led from the top by Sir Terry was that we always felt as listeners that you were talking to us. I was, I would be in the car or I would be in the bathroom and you were talking to me. And I think that makes a world of difference rather than being spoken at. Yeah. You're talking. Yeah, to. I think I, a lot of people can forget that. But Wogan was the master of that. And, you know, the audience was definitely a member of the team. They were in the studio with us. And yeah. They gave us some of our best lines. Flipping heck. They were flipping brilliant, those people. <laughs> yeah. It makes you realise how, how creative uh, an audience can be once they're inspired to become part of a community, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. community um, that's what it was you're absolutely right it was a community yeah so fondest memory of Sir Terry amongst the distill it from the two million fond memories uh, in the decades yeah, that you knew him what was, is there a standout everything was a standout that's the, like you say from the two million <laughs> hours you spent with him I think it was that he was so kind and and he was a very generous broadcaster. Mm. So, for, for instance, um, if some broadcasters aren't that generous, this will come as a shock to you, Colin, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't, they, they think, I can see you laughing, if they think you're trying to upstage them, whether you are or not, they will, oh, they'll slam you down or whatever, or do it in a very gentle way or whatever. But mm. yeah, yeah, I've, I've come up against some people like that. Whereas Terry was just like, we're all having fun here. Yeah. Um, and if you said the funny thing, if you were having an exchange with him, if you said the funny thing that kind of finished it, he'd let you have it. So he pressed the button for music. Yes. He didn't, he didn't have to have the last word. If you said something funny and if you made him laugh, oh, my goodness, mm. make him laugh, then that's his generosity and kindness really shone through. Um, and also uh, to make him laugh, that's... Uh, oh, a couple of times I really made him roll up with laugh, curl up, because he wouldn't do a really loud laugh. He would just rock back in his chair and, I kept, and to make Terry Wogan laugh. Oh, was the best thing. Oh. Um, from the, the silly, sillier things is the food. Oh, the food. Now, you may or may not know that he was touting for food the entire time <laughs> on air. And we particularly liked uh, National Sausage Week. Uh, pie week, 
farmhouse breakfast was a particular favourite. Where they would, and we would be sent this food, and believe me, we were eating it. There is no doubt about it. But one Christmas, we got this massive box, sort of a. Um, we got this massive polystyrene box. It was warm. It was massive. So it was brought up. You looked inside. There was a full roast turkey, <laughs> which had just been it just been cooked. They put it in this box slung it to us so we took it into him you know we held high look terry i come to you with you know marvelously a sacrificial turkey um and we undid it and i think they they thought to send a knife in because often we only had a pen knife to do things um and one of my favorite i can still see him now so there were the doors into the studio, there was there's a big glass panel in it. I could see him. He was sitting whilst the music was on, this massive turkey, carving it, this huge knife. And he looks up and he sees me and he beckons to me. Come in, my child, kind of thing. And let me feed you. Um, and it was just the fun of it, Colin. It was just the fun of it. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't mean to put a dampener on it, but I, no, it's, it was such a significant moment. Um, it was a Sunday. It was after the 31st of January, 2016. I was in the bathroom one Sunday morning, nine o'clock shaving. And the news came on after Terry had not been on air for about four months. He hadn't done children in need because uh, he had a back problem. It was announced. I'd, a couple of months before that, I'd done problems in the park with him. And he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad at all. Just felt he was maybe feeling his age a tiny bit. You know, he didn't do children in need. Then he disappeared. And then that awful day in January, that Sunday, shaving my face, I heard the nine o'clock news announcer in the morning say that Sir Terry Wogan had died. And it was one of those moments where we've, I know I've talked to you about this before. You look at the radio and you say, what? And it came as such a shock to everybody. And I guess he, he even kept it from the team, didn't he? I had absolutely no idea, absolutely no idea whatsoever. He'd been doing, uh, as you know, some Sunday programmes for Radio 2, and mm. he'd have, he'd do a stretch of them and then stop, which is fair enough, you know, and then, as you say, do children in need and, and do other stuff. And he had a bad back. And, I, you know, I, I knew he'd had a bad, I knew he had a bad back. And it was, I absolutely took that, fine, fair enough. As you say, maybe feeling his age. But he didn't do children in need. You think hey, he must he must be feeling quite bad, actually, because that he was really devoted to that. Mm. Um, so you think, oh, that's that's not so good. Um, but yeah, I I was lying in bed with a cup of tea, and when it came over the the announcement, you do you look at you look at the the radio almost kind of like, is there another Sir Terry Wogan? Mm. Is what you you think dumb things? It's like no 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 that no no that did i hear that right and it's just and i can see it now it is that kennedy moment isn't it it is like, where where were you what and still it was i had absolutely no idea and it was it was astonishing yes absolutely astonishing and and in many ways very very terry because he wasn't he wasn't a moaner he was not he, it wasn't about him it was never about him mm personally it was about him being silly yes about him noticing the things we all notice but he manages to articulate beautifully yeah 
Yeah, um, for sure. And away from the camera and away from the microphone, he was a very private person. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there's a lovely, there's lovely footage, Lynn, of Terry's closing peroration on the last uh, Wake Up to Wogan. Uh, there he is in his finest shirt and tie broadcasting. Uh, he's, uh, he's nice. Always warm. looked beautiful, by the way. Always, always um, dressed, turned out beautifully by the way, every day. Even at that ridiculous time in the morning. Oh, yeah, stupid. Stupid. <laughs> I was shambling in an old T-shirt and dodgy <laughs> pair of jeans. He looked fantastic. But there you are behind the behind the yeah. glass in the yeah. producer's room, uh, watching Terry make this final broadcast from Wake, Wake Up to Wogan. And there you are. And that, that must have been a fascinating... Watching history being made, actually broadcasting history, witnessing broadcasting history. I remember when he announced that he was going to be leaving... And at that point, I took no holiday. Uh, was, I didn't want to be away from him at any stage. If you know, you work with him. I wanted to work with him every single moment I could be mm. with him every time. You know, because he's brilliant. He was great. So I didn't take any holiday all that t- time up until the point he left. Um, and I'm I'm standing in the cubicle, as we call it, the, the control room, uh, behind Alan Boyd, who's at the at the computer again with, with the team hmm. and just and, and people who've just wandered in who wanted to see the you know the last time kind of thing just hmm. yeah it's kind of is this really gonna happen is he really go, really terry hmm. wogan's going and i'm and his his last his his last comments about being on air with everyone again it's about the audience it's not about him it's hmm. not about him yeah um the only thing that kept us going was we knew he was going to come back for a Sunday show. So mm-hmm. we hadn't completely lost him. Yes. Yeah. So you spent, what, more than 10 years, more than 15 years, yeah. about 18 yeah. years, I think. Uh, yeah, I spent about 18 years at, at Radio Radio 2. Um, mm. And all of that time I worked with him or behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, no, no, not all. Sorry. No, I, not all the time because, of course, Chris Evans came in. Oh, yes. So okay. I'll come to Mr. Evans in a moment. But, ah, but yeah, tell me about getting up at whatever time you got up. How would it be? A, yeah. What was a typical day for a BBC Radio 2 travel bod who did the oh, morning shift? Absolutely. Um, it doesn't start well, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> the alarm goes off and you, you levitate about three feet in the air out of bed <laughs> because it's three, four o'clock in the morning. And I just literally, I just went into this into the bathroom, brush my teeth, wash my face, you know, put your clothes on. You can't eat anything. I can't drink anything. Shambled downstairs. Um, the BBC then would send a taxi for me. They were interesting. Some of the taxis I got, I can tell you. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, and they got loads better. They got loads better. But there's some of, right at the very beginning, it was kind of interesting. Um, and you'd sit in the back just feeling grim, to be honest with you. Um, and then be driven into, which took no time at all at that time in the morning, driven into broadcasting house. And then, you know, you just kind of come to. Um, and, you know, the, the important thing about working with that team at that time in the morning is everyone's really gentle with you and and happy. <laughs> you know, we're OK. We're going to be fine. Have a cup of coffee. You know, look, it's not digging ditches. Mm. It's not digging coal. Um but it was a bit of a, it was a bit scary right at the very beginning. It's too early doing this. You do get used to it. 
Mm. And then you really don't ever get used to doing it, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, does, it does mess with you, undoubtedly. Mm. And then, of course, you've got to go to bed at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. Because I could, I had to be, if I'm tired, I can't speak properly. I can't speak properly most of the time. But if I'm tired, I go, blah, blah, blah. so I had to go to bed quite early. And that really, that alters what you yeah. do with your life, to be honest. Well, you said that at that time of the morning, people are gentle with you. I'm wondering if that maybe changed to a slight extent when Mr. Christopher Evans took over the breakfast show from Sir Terry. Um, you know, you know what? It, it was, it's interesting what you should say, because I realised only quite recently, these were two completely different breakfast shows. The team, much bigger team with Chris, um, whereas with T Wogan, it was a producer, uh, the lovely Paulie Walters, uh, and then the fantastic Alan Boyd, brilliant producers, the pair of them. Uh, you had an SM, a studio manager, who would run the desk, make sure everything sounds all right. Obviously, Terry was opening up his side and opening up mics and playing music, but you've got someone who makes sure all the sound levels are right. So that's the studio manager. And then, and that was it, basically. Mm -hmm. And then in the in the office, you had, I think, half half a broadcast assistant, I'm not joking. They had, you know, they could use half their time to do some of the paperwork. And so when Chris came in, much different, uh, because the thing about Chris is, and the thing I will always say about Chris is that he really wants to entertain the audience and, you know, everything is thrown at that. So you need a much bigger team. Um, and there were, I mean, a couple of, you obviously have the producer and then you have another kind of assistant producers, couple of producers, people answering phones, people doing the social media, um, people printing off emails and texts. And it was very, very busy, whereas I used to shamble in. Uh, I'm on in a minute. Yeah, after this one, lean what? And uh, open the yeah. door, in a go, up, whoosh. Um, whereas it was much, yeah, much busier. Mm. But I... How was it with Chris Evans? Because I always felt that you held your own with Chris Evans magnificently. I, mean, I would have been uh, totally overwhelmed by his utter enormous charisma, quite frankly. But you were always, you were, it was the cut and thrust that you could handle with consumer ease, I always felt. You think so? I, I think, I genuinely, I think I'm a bit of an Egypt. Um, but I, but because I, you know, I've dealt with all of these, these folks before, it's just, it's you know, very kind of you to say this. I think you're over-egging my pudding, so to speak, if you'll pardon the expression. Um, but yeah, you just, I just talk rubbish for a living. You know, we'll talk rubbish. I actually, I talk rubbish all the time anyway. You, look, I'm just talking to you and I'm talking rubbish all the time anyway. Um, he, yeah, he, he was great. He was great. He was different. It's a different sort of cut and thrust. Mm. Um, and it was all, it, yes, it was. I think Wogan was a cottage industry. Mm. And Chris was a high, highfalutin industrial radio in, in that different way of being. You know, yeah. we were just messing about on work. But with Sir Terry and with Ken, um, when you're doing your, your uh, kibitzing with them and doing travel and stuff, it's just you and, and Ken and, and then Terry, uh, of course. But with, with Chris, there was a whole audience within the studio. And sometimes you'll be doing the, the travel news sitting in front of T Quentin Tarantino oh, or yeah, the Oasis. Yeah. Was that, yes. that nerve-wracking? Yeah. It was quite... <laughs> the problem was, it was Fridays. And this grew up over time. They would have guests and then they'd bring the guest in. And then we'd have a singer or a band. And they come in with the band and backing singers. And then... 
you have another two guests, like an actor and a scientist or something. So these are not big studios. <laughs> so um, then, and then you've got me going in and then you've got some other people. Then we, he'd sell kind of for, for prizes. Pe other people would come in to watch it for, for charity, you know. Um, so I would have to fight my way into the studio. The, the studio manager, Gary being one of them, oh, I love Gary, he said, then I've put a microphone up there for you. And he'd have to stand up, my, a separate microphone up so that I could do the traffic. And you're standing there, again, like a lemon with, um, you know, I, I can't think of anyone I was, you know, major stars staring at you saying, well, it's very, very, very busy on the M6 southbound junction 10A, that's the M54, usual problems there. Also over in Shropshire, uh, you know, so like they have no idea what we're doing. They're looking at me. I, um, I remember, oh, some people were just I, like Olivia Coleman, twang, um, <laughs> the actress, staring at me and going, you know, Marvelous, well done. You know, Sandy Toxford going, that's fantastic. Um, who was the other one? That's it. Um, Niall Rogers, oh. the uh, producer. So, you know, just you're the basically, you're the biz kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. But most of the time, I was fighting my way in, then I have to fight my way out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose the culture shock of, of Chris is testament to your, your skill and ability to cope with those situations. I would contend. Um, I'm too stupid to know it's changed. I just, no, genuinely, I just wander in and do the traffic. That's all I ever do. I wander in, do the traffic and talk to whoever is there. Yeah. Yeah, you make it sound ever so easy, and it's not. I promise you faithfully. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you, Lynn Bowles, that it's not easy. <laughs> when, I, when I worked at um, Five Live, uh, I, was doing the after, I was doing the afternoon shift there. And uh, there were two, well, a couple of guests in particular, they would, they would after two o'clock, they'd have this big interview. Um, and one of them, oh dear, was June Whitfield, one of the few people who really impressed me. And she was, again, I, you know, you're in the middle of an interview, proper interview with someone, and they go, and now to the traffic. And every time I go, oh, please don't come to me, just keep talking to this person. Because they're going to, they sit opposite me and I go, it's very busy on the M5, you know. <laughs> so you're like, it's Andy Williams. Andy Williams looking at me like, what the heck is this woman talking about? <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mrs. Mr. Williams, sorry. Um, and uh, June Whitfield, again, absolute sweetheart going, you know, give me a big thumbs up after oh. I finished. And um, Dolly Parton, Ooh. they're interviewing Dolly Parton. I've never seen so many people look through a window as when Dolly Parton was there. You know, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> was hundreds of people <laughs> looking at her. She's probably used to it. I wasn't. Um, and again, you know, they're interviewing Dolly Parton, Saint Dolly of Parton. Oh. I'm saying, oh, it's uh, oh, up in Scotland, the M8. So oh, got an accident there. You know, one lane closed. Thinking, it's Dolly Parton watching me do this. Yeah. Um, and they, the mics come down and uh, she says, you're so sweet. Oh, what a woman. Thank you very much indeed. That, that live with you forever, that kind of moment. It, oh, it did. And when she turned up at Radio 2, she, I, was, I was in my office. I, this, this is the woman. I was in my office at Radio 2. And you look up and there's Dolly Parton in the doorway. Hello. Hello. Wow. Hello, I said. This is the second time I've met you. You probably won't remember the first one. Wow. And uh, I, I told her the story, of course, because she's Dolly Parton. She goes in to do an interview, comes back, and as she walks out, puts her head in my in the door and goes, "You're still sweet." Oh my goodness! I know it just. Oh, that's why I love her. She's a lovely woman. That's the mark of a true star, though, isn't it? Yes. Yes. They take the trouble.
Yes. And yeah, she's lovely. Yeah, God bless her. One person as well with whom he worked, yes. who I always felt held his own magnificently with with um with Chris Evans on those handovers was the sainted Ken Bruce. No, no, who's which one was he? Which oh <laughs> the, the Scotty Scottish bloke. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, oh, for heaven's sake. Uh Ken is the business. Absolutely. Funny, clever, sharp. He's not gonna listen to this, is he? Um and, and a good broadcaster. And the thing, the thing about him is, I think, is that he started being a news presenter. He would, he, or he would be a presenter up in uh, Scotland. So he knew how to work everything. He could do timings in his head. I can't do timings with a pen, pen and a paper and a bloody calculator. But he could do that. And he, he was really brilliant to work with. And we had a lot of fun. We are terrible gossips. We'd just sit there gossiping the entire time. But... Um, no, he, he, oh yeah, he can hold his own with anyone. Oh, can't he just? Uh, oh, one yeah. must hear those interviews. But you, you held your own with him beautifully as well, I must say. You, did, you took no nonsense. Um, I think it helped that I understood all of his references. Um, because, and this is sort of the boring bit, but my parents were in their 40s when I was born. So they had been born in the 20s. So my re- I understood their references. I understood lots of references through the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. You know, I understood all of that stuff. So if he made a reference like that, I would get it. And because I'm a, a film geek, I love all the old films and, and all sorts of old rubbish that I picked up. I'm a little bit of a magpie. You know, I pick things up. And so I would be on it. One of my, one of my favourite things to do when he would say, now here's Lynn Bowles. I would say, no, I'm Spartacus. <laughs> he would understand what I'm doing. No, I'm Spartacus. And he would understand what I'm doing. And we would go on a whole Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, I'm Spartacus thing. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is really. He's the anointed godfather of British radio now. In my view. Oh yes, oh yes, and uh, you know he, he can't. He's not allowed to retire. I've decided. I've de- I, haven't, I haven't told him this, but uh, mm. he's not allowed to retire. He's just going to kick up. End of story. I believe there's going to be a law passed in Parliament that prevents Ken Bruce from leaving oh. the radio. Yeah. Well, you know that those those folks in Parliament, they should do something useful for it. <laughs> And that would be that would be really good. Yeah, I guess you've always been a broadcaster all your life. What made you want to sit behind a microphone and chat for a living? I had no idea I wanted to do this. Don't be silly. I was going to go into agriculture. <laughs> really was, really, really was. And I had a place at an agricultural college, and I was doing my year. You have to do a practical year, and. Um, I just got halfway through and I'm thinking, I'm not sure this is actually right for me. You know, <laughs> what I was 18, I'm not sure this is right. Um, 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 I went to see the careers guy and he said, well, you could be a paramedic with your A-levels. <laughs> Can you imagine me as a paramedic? <laughs> or you could do other things. And that sent me down a different path of doing a degree in communications of all things um and i did that and then i came out and was completely unemployable um you know and you just stumble around and and i went i thought i wanted to be in, in behind the scenes in tv i thought because uh, it's very difficult to get all this information when we were young mm. you and me do you remember mm. when we were young 
Oh, God. Uh, I mean, you can find anything out now on the internet. So, you know, you're stumbling around trying to find information. Uh, so I went and worked in New Orleans for a while. Well, I worked. I was an intern. Um, and just at WVUE News 8, um, where there was a big eight on the side of the van. And um, naughty people uh, who had guns would use that as a target practice. <laughs> It never happened to me. This was just one of the legends that they told me. So you are kind of, I'm in a van with a big target on it. Maybe not. Mm. Um, that was years ago. I, I think that was a long, long time before I got there. Um, anyway, uh, so I did that. And I, and I came back and I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure I want to be in TV behind the scenes either. Uh, and I spent quite a lot of time being unemployed. And then I finally answered a tiny, tiny ad that said, are you good at reading maps, which I was because I'd done geography A-level. I like the maps. Love a map. Uh, and then, and is your voice, have you got a good voice or something? Like, is, is your voice something? Like, I can't remember. And I knew that my voice sounded like a much older woman because when I was 12, I used to answer the phone and people would think it was my mother. Uh, so I was thinking, oh, maybe I can get away with that. Um, and it was a, a company. Actually, I have the mug in front of me, Metro Traffic Control. Oh, my gosh. There it is. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Metro Traffic Control. Fantastic. I can't believe that mug has survived all this time. Uh, and they were an American company that just did traffic reports and mm. made money from putting an ad in the middle. And I started off there. I went for an interview. Didn't get the job. Um, I've never got a job from an interview, company. Never. <laughs> Properly, never got a job. Um, and But then they rang me up and said, oh, we need someone to do weekends. You want to do weekends? I'm like, yes, because I haven't got a job. Um, and that's how it started. And then from there, I I did the traffic news from them for a bloke called Richard Littlejohn. Mm. And he would say terrible things to me on the air. And of course, you know, whatever. I'm a bit yeah. whatever. Yes. Um, and then... One of his producers went to the new Radio 5 Live, as was the News and Sport, and they needed someone to talk to a bloke called John Inverdale, who wouldn't be phased by it. And they all, bowls is all right. Get mm. um, so, they, so, you know, they gave me that job. And I was doing two jobs at once for a while because it was just in the afternoons. Mm. And then from there, eventually, Radio 2 came and said, oh, gosh, do you want to talk to Ken Bruce? He's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, all right, then. Who? Can you? Can you mould him into shape? Yes. Yeah, so to answer your original question, I, I, as I've just confirmed for you, I just talk rubbish. I did. I didn't know. I just stumbling around trying mm. to make trying to make the money for the electricity bill. Bit of a leap, though. I mean, you just, you just mentioned um, New Orleans, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Fantastic place. Go there. The food's wonderful. Uh, but and there's th- a jazz festival. That must have taken enormous uh, courage to fly out of Heathrow and go to America just to scratch around for, for a job. You know what? You're absolutely right, because I rang them up in that way. Hello. Hello. It's Lynn Gold here, calling from London, hoping that that would help. And I said, so uh, have I got this job? Well, it's not a job. Have I got this internship? And they said, well, just come and see us. I'm thinking, love, I'm going to fly 6,000 miles. Could you just tell me? Oh, just come. Just drop in when you're here. What? Even I thought that was a bit dodge. Um, but you know, you you get to a point where you don't want to do certain jobs, and it's like, well, it yeah. might be a bit of a laugh, mightn't it? I was sent to boarding school when I was really young, and I'm too stupid to realise I shouldn't be doing these things. Really, you know, you just get used to doing stuff on your own. Then, but then you had you were radio two for many, 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 many,
once I'm in, I'm not going <laughs> to let go. But ah, there was that memorable day in 2018 when you announced to the nation that you were actually leaving Radio 2. And I, there were, yeah. I'm sure there was a collective what <laughs> from the entire listenership. Oh, that, thank goodness. She's finally going. We'll get someone who can do this job. Oh, God. She doesn't she's, think she's marvellous. Yeah. She's taken the hint. No, it was, it was one of those things. There, were, there was the lamentations of Job around the oh. nation when oh. you said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it up. Was that a wake up one morning saying, that's it, I'm done? Or was it uh, over a period of time you thought, no, I'm, okay, I'm getting to a point now where I'm going to have to walk? Uh, yeah, it was over time. Um, a couple of things happened. The major thing was I knew lots of people who got very ill um, and, and some of them had died or quite a lot of them had died. And they were not people who should have got ill and died. And this sounds really kind of morbid, actually, doesn't it? Like, oh, this is going to happen to me. Um, but, but it's just kind of excellent people. I, I knew one guy who was in his 40s. And he had a stroke. Excellent, excellent guy. Uh, I worked with him a long, long time ago. And I got a call saying, oh, he's in hospital. It's like, what? And I went to see him, but he was out, mm. out for the count, love him. And then he died. Mm. And he shouldn't have. Mm. And then I knew about or knew of about three people who got brain tumors. And, you know, and some survived and some, you know, it's just kind of lots of stuff happened. And you just think, okay, right. What you do on a daily basis is how you spend your life. Mm. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah, I should take that with me. It's one of those things, isn't it, where you... Okay, here's... Okay, here, okay this is about me. Sorry, this is your gig. But carry, on, carry on, carry on, love. I'm dull. Jeremy, no, no. Yeah, you've been, you've been incredibly dull for the last 40 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, boss. I'll try and buck up. <laughs> um, I read an article by Jeremy Clarkson. This article by Jeremy Clarkson said, you know, I said, it, it's like being in the room with him, isn't it? It like is again. How do you do it? <laughs> Voice of them all. Uh, do you know, I've just realised at my age, I've got 15 good Christmases left. And actually, it was a bit glib and it was a bit throwaway, but actually it was one of those moments where I thought, oh, hang on. Let's do the sums. Oh, he's bloody right. And I thought, do I really want to spend my life staring at the QWERTY keyboard for as long as I've done it low these last 40, 50 years? No, I don't. So I guess it was rather like you thinking, no, let's time to move on. Yeah. Let's get to I, it. I've, we've made our audiences suffer enough, Colin. It's about time. <laughs> it's about time we gave them a break. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So then you packed up the house in Wimbledon. You yeah, absolutely. shuffled off to Gwent, which really literally the land of your fathers. Uh, yes. Up to, I'm I am living exactly where I've come full circle. I'm back home. Right. Um I came back to the family home. Um, both my parents died a long, long, long time ago. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am back home. Um, we live, uh, in quite a, a rural area. Um, and I've got a couple of fields, uh, that my dad bought about 108 years ago. Um, and, it, we, and we'd, we'd let them go to rack and ruin, frankly, they'd gone to rack and ruin. So I've been spending my time, I'm, I'm back full circle because I'm also slightly doing agriculture, aren't I? Yeah, I just realised it's good having you here as my therapist. You're making me work through things, <laughs> and so I'm. I, I'll be out when I finish with you. I'll be out with a chainsaw. 
they scared the bejesus out of me, these chainsaws. Yeah. But I've got a ch- we, you know, lots of trees have fallen over and then they get brambles over them and then you don't have a field anymore. You've just got like yes. rubbish. You yes. So yes. uh, yeah, so we're trying to clear stuff up and tidy. One point I would like to make, I think you'll yes. find the, the agricultural expression is not letting it go to rack and ruin. It's yes. leaving it lie fallow. Oh. Let, let me excuse you with that. I left it Thank fallow you. for many years and it now it's rich ag- agricultural land. But um, also, don't, oh, don't I? Aren't I rewilding it? <laughs> oh, there's always that now. That seems I could to be rewild. It. Yeah. Oh, well, you can get money for that, can't you? Can you? Oh, God. <laughs> I work for the BBC. I'm not used to getting money. <laughs> Very ridiculous, man. So you're really you're you're, you're back to your roots, so uh, to speak. Because yeah, the last I, time we spoke yeah. um, was you, you were just about to go out before the the last big storm to lash down the hen house. Yes. <laughs> Maybe laugh a lot. I stayed lashed down for quite some time. They just out there. Yeah, I've uh, before I came in to see you on this uh, this interview. Interview. Will I pass this interview? This is the question. Um, I was just um, mucking them out and uh, feeding them. Yeah, five hens. Uh, they didn't fall over in the last storm, um, and they are d- delightful, absolutely delightful. And they give you like two or three eggs. I've got five of them. Give you two or three eggs every day. They are amazing. Um, so, and in the this last uh winter we've had sheep on the land not my sheep but they're just you know guest sheep mm. um so they've been eating things and ho- helping me trample down the brambles and, <sighs> and we'll have hay taken off in the summer so it's all quite quite it's almost a bit rural if you don't look closely mm. i can say certain things that makes it sound rural but it's not really. for me it sounds idyllic it really does your love of the outdoors then right from the get-go and coming full circle now yeah did that have any bearing on your passion for Land Rovers? Right. Okay. So the Land Rover thing is my dad had Land Rovers intermittently as I was growing up. And he finally got one when I was about 15, another one, 15, 16. So it meant that that was the car I had to pass my driving test on. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's how we are. It's like, right, it's a vehicle. And my father had always been very, kind of you can drive anything not not kind of you can drive anything because I wasn't instilled with any confidence just so you know but it was just a given you will be able to drive so I learned to I could already drive obviously <laughs> he'd made me do that uh, so I passed my driving test on the Land Rover and as a result of him owning a Land Rover he got sent an entry form for a thing called the Camel Trophy and this is when they send Land Rovers, which are marvellous, off to some far-flung place uh, to cut their way through the jungle and show how marvellous uh, Land Rovers are. And it's also a team event. So my father said, you should enter this. I came back from college and he said, you should enter this. You, should, you could do that. Again, not like my father at all to build me up. Um, so, yeah, so we, I think he filled it in or, you know, and we sent it off. And I got on. I got on the trials, which were up in Yorkshire. Mm. And this is when I thought, because Land Rovers were just ordinary cars, to me, or vehicles to me, they're not cars, they're just vehicles. Um, I went on this thing, which was a weekend, and they kept you up for 24, 48 hours to put you through. But they made the land, you do things with Land Rovers, you had no idea they could be done. So, for instance, they said, drive into that, that dip there, which was full of water. I'm sitting in a Land Rover. The engine is going. I'm up to, I'm sitting in a lander and I'm up to my knees in water. Wow. Yes, I know. Um, and I have to hand um, 
a controller to my teammate. His name was Ian. And he had to jump on the bonnet, attach the winch, which is on the front, attach the winch out to another Land Rover. And then I would press the button and I would pull myself out of the water in a Land Rover. And all the and there is a picture of me opening the door that went into one of the Land Rover magazines with all the water rushing out. And I thought, this is an amazing vehicle. Yeah. Now, that's a vehicle. Yeah, I've always wanted one. Um, and I think oh, I will get one. Have mine. <laughs> <laughs> They're horrible. It's only really one, uncomfortable. <laughs> only one careful owner. One, one, only one lady. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and be careful. There's lots of sheds out there, terrible Land Rovers, which have been, because people are really nasty to them. They think, oh, it's just mm, and horrible to them and don't take care of them. Yeah, they use them as the workhorse, I guess. But, but then, then, mm. It, mm. it comes as no surprise to anybody that you were made the pin-up cover girl of for all Land Rover drivers the world over. It was you. Well, that because they, God, God love them, they needed a bit of love, didn't they? <laughs> you know, and, and the fact that there was someone on the radio who said, yeah, I like a Land Rover, you know, they were like, oh, she's one of ours. So, yeah, it's, it's a small but mad band of people who like Land Rovers. And, um, yeah, I'm uh, happy, happy to help spread the word but of course you know we're talking old land rovers here we're talking mm. oh, yeah. up to defend the, um, the old defenders really i mean all this this posh range rover lark all these posh mm. sporty evokes they're not for us they go too well yeah. <laughs> I mean, as they say why do land rovers have holes in them to let the water out um <laughs> and and they're, they're deeply un- they can be deeply uncomfortable vehicles and loud and yeah you know you can't uh, hopeless in many ways but we do love them and um yeah my dear friend roger edwards who used to be a producer on family fortunes and bulls i've mentioned in past in the past on this podcast he had a he had a land rover uh and naturally it was by the side of the motorway with the bonnet up and yeah. i don't mean that unkindly no. but he said every land rover driver that went by stopped and said, do you want a hand? And that is one of the rules of driving an old Land Rover, is if you see a dead Land Rover or a Land Rover that's limping along, you go, you need some help, mate. Yeah. That's what you do. That's what you do. And that's lovely. It's that lovely community. Now, of course, now yeah. you're ensconced in, you know, used to be the family home, living off the land, a proper good life existence. <laughs> yes. And, but, of course, you're still broadcasting. You're still broadcasting on BBC Radio Wales of a Sunday. You've got your own show, which runs for two and a bit hours. So that must have been incredibly liberating when you were offered that. And you thought, well, I've got two hours to fill. This is going to be great fun, wasn't it? I'm not sure about this use of the word broadcasting, (laughs) because that sounds like I know what I'm doing. Uh, And it sounds quite professional. Uh, No, I shamble onto the air. And I, 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 you know, I, I wander around on the air, bumping into things, really. Um, I think being entirely honest, to call it, and this is something I seldom am, <laughs> I think my forte when broadcasting is with someone else. And mm. I, think, I think I actually can do that um, to a certain degree. So working with Terry, working with Ken, I'm, I'm good at that, being silly, being stupid and getting what they're talking about and being able to reply. I reacted for a living. I react for a living. Mm. Well, that's what I did. Um, being in your own show is a completely different thing for me. Um, so I have 
uh, interviews. I've got a couple of interviews every every show and a couple of things that we do. Um, but it, it's just, you know, it's the usual songs, interviews. Uh, I, I once said to Ken, uh, when you open the microphone, do you know what you're going to say? And he said, always. Is that the case with you? No, no, I haven't, I haven't got a clue. Don't be ridiculous. As I said, I stumble around on it. Uh, no, okay. I, I sometimes I don't have much of a clue, but I've got an idea of where we're going. Hmm. Um, no, no, Ken is the consummate, the consummate guy. He can. He's so he's so good at talking to time. You know, because I, I'm not sure <laughs> the three people that listen to this. Uh, whether they know that it's all about timings on radio and indeed on telly. Um, and I remember saying to him, because again, we never rehearsed anything. God. Uh, but I'd say, look, I've got a lot to do. Or I'd, I'd noticed that we're coming up to the top of the hour. I said, would you want me to do a short one? And he would be quite, quite annoyed with me. No, no, we just do what we do. And then I'll work it out. Um, and we'd talk. And he would be, whilst he was talking to me, having a conversation with me, I could see him looking at the computer, seeing which song to play so that it finished at the right time up to the news. And sometimes that was helpful. That's why it was always helpful to be in the studio with him, because I could see that he was looking for the right song. So if he'd stopped talking, I would just talk rubbish for a while mm. until he came back to me. And then, he, you know, if necessary, he would, he would start it. And yeah. I but- know. Get off, bowls. <laughs> But that's the skill he has, the skill you have as well, because you're not you're self-opping. You've got your timings, you've got your computer screens, you're touching stuff and you're fading this up. But you've got to be entertaining whenever the microphone's open. I th- and I think that kind of multi-skilling is just brilliant. That's a statement, not a question. Uh, have, that, say, ha- have that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take it, but, but I'm not sure it's true. I'm not sure I am entertaining. I think I'm, I'm, a, I think I'm a, a kind of a hack presenter. I think I can, yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> Genuinely, I try not to bump into the furniture and do the right thing. I think I'm, I'm fairly van ordinaire. I think I, I can identify with everything you're saying because I must admit it's an attitude that I adopt. It's people that know me know full well, but BBC Radio Wales said, um, "Do you want to come on? Do you want to do two hours on a Sunday?" So you were no slouch. No, no. Well, I knew the other thing. The other thing is. I, I knew I needed to get a job in Cardiff <laughs> if I was going to pay the gas bill, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's and it was I really wanted to do a show on my own as well, um, because honestly, doing, you know, I know too much about the nation's roads. I don't want to talk about them anymore. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to, you know, and that was why it was so lovely to talk to Ken mm. and Terry and Chris and every, all the other guys and gals I've talked to and Sarah Kennedy you know these are these are giants of radio and I got to be in rooms with them and you said you said right at the very beginning about being self-deprecating um it's not hard to be self-deprecating because I've seen radio done really well really well by the best in the business and I am yeah I'm not a patch on these people but I can you know I can run a show I can interview people you know but they were they are brilliant and uh, already bbc radio wells you are attracting some big name guests well i had you on uh, twice actually I, I, twice i'm rather twice. pleased to say yes yeah. that, that must have been a thin old sunday we scratch oh god who's yeah. that oh god no he's Some, dead sometimes 
Oh no, he's dead. <laughs> uh, no, sometimes you just got to go with what you got, Colin. Yes. Uh, you know, um, yeah, it's you know what what's very interesting about about the interview. I mean, tell me about what it's like to interview. What you've learned from interviewing folks. Oh. Um, that it doesn't always go to what you've planned on the page. That's for sure, because if people do go off on on different tangents and they get sidetracked and rah, rah, rah. But a, a, a smart interviewer will always ro- run with that and then gently bring it back on track. As you've seen, low this past hour, occasionally I've I've looked at the screen thinking, I, damn it, what am I going to say now? I don't want to look and at my notes. What is she talking about? No, no, but it, but that's 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 to my detriment rather than anything else. But I suppose you, having done it for twenty odd years, or, or your, your entire life, for twenty years, your entire life. I'm, I'm baby, child, child broadcaster. I was five years I, old. I started. I guess as a broadcaster, you get to know tricks of the trade, don't you? you know what? I don't think I do know tricks of the trade. I think that. I'm inter- I, I'm interested in how other people live their lives. I mean, it sounds like a big thing to say, but I think we're all interested in that. Mm. It's kind of like how how are you making this work? How is what is that like? Um, and just asking the obvious. I can't ask the non-obvious question. I ask the obvious questions, but that's mm. the question you want the answer to. I was interviewing um, a Welsh actress uh, a couple of months ago, and she is she she's in um she was in a Welsh language thing on S4C here, but she also works in English. And she had been in a film um, uh, whose name I can't remember, but it was, um, it was, it was nominated for an Oscar. And this was kind of like vaguely in the notes. It's like, Ooh, did you go to the Oscars? What was it like? Rawr! You know, and I don't think anyone had asked her before. And it was completely fascinating, you yeah. know, because she didn't, they didn't win the Oscar. But, you know, she got to see what it was like before you before you lose, mm. you know, because at the time they think, oh, this person might win, you know, and then yeah. we're going to be nice. And she was saying about, you know, what happens then? Because as soon as you lose, it's like, bye. Yes. Go along. Yeah. Um, there's, your, there's your goodie bag. Off you go. Yeah, well, yeah. I said, what was in the goodie bag? I want to know, you know. But yeah. I think they've got bigger. Imb- I think you get a BMW in it now or something. <laughs> and an island off Hawaii. I mean, just unbelievable stuff now. So it sounds to me your existence, Lynn Bowles, is idyllic. You're out there, you're one with the land, you're broadcasting as well. I mean, you're living your best life, aren't you? I, you know what? I think you're almost there. And I, the one thing I wish, I wish Terry was still with us. Terry mm. Wogan. You know, I think to have had him during this period of time, these last two or three years, four five years giving his comments on it would have helped a lot of people most particularly me and i I wish he was still around yes indeed i'm also minded to think lynn that him looking down on us now thinking what the hell has gone wrong here lynn bowles is talking to colin edmonds on a podcast i've never seen this god it's (laughs) both egypt's (laughs) <laughs> no one's going to listen to this if when not when not if when people want to listen to your show on bbc radio wales and they don't necessarily live in the land of the gods they live a bit further out across the border yes in in other countries <laughs> uh, how can they listen to you please lynn 
Um, well, obviously, we're on BBC Radio Wales, which I didn't realise lots of people who don't speak Welsh think we just broadcast in Welsh. No, we, we, we broadcast exclusively in English. I wouldn't be there otherwise. My Welsh is terrible. So it's BBC Radio Wales. Uh, so you could look, at a, look us up on your computers, your pewters, mm. BBC Radio Wales, look at the schedule and you'll find us there. Obviously, it's all on BBC Sounds. Mm. So go on to BBC Sounds, find BBC Radio Wales. I'm on on a Sunday. I start mm. at three. It's a couple of hours of total months. Uh, and it's total nonsense that I listen to most Sundays. Uh, I'm here to. Uh, no, excuse me, excuse me. Who? Uh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry, folks. I'm just going to get personal here. Who? Who sent you down the emails? A comment when you were talking to your film bod when you were sitting in during the course of one week. You were looking for sequels. Yes, I was. I was standing and someone got very ill and I had to stand in for them. So it's like, who can we call? And they called everybody and finally they had to call me. Um, <laughs> yes, my film, uh, Gary Slaymaker, who's on in, on a, a Friday and uh, he's very he's very good, actually. And mm. yes, it's um, yeah, we were looking for the best sequel or the best two word sequels. Or something, mm. something. Yeah. Yes. Colin then, Edmondson turned up. And then suddenly, How did you slide your way into our text? <laughs> yes, it was that pause when you said, and oh, Chalfont Cole has said. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. He's listening during the week now. He turns into a stalker. <laughs> yes. The fact that I'm married does not mean to say that I will not say to you, Lynn Bowles, please, will you marry me? Well, the thing is, I'm going to have to marry you because you said very nice things at the beginning of this, uh, this show. And, ah. uh, yes, I'm going to have to marry you. It's <laughs> obviously, it's going to be a long distance relationship. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. It's been an absolute joy. You are very, very kind to say that. It has been a lovely trip down memory lane for me and a little bit sad as well. Mm. But, yeah. but, you know, that's life, isn't it? So thanks, Cole. You're all, well, you're all right with me. <laughs> Thank you. We have been listening, folks, to the magnificent Miss Lynn Bowles. Listen to Lynn, BBC Wales. Thanks, Lynn, for your time. I do appreciate it. Thank you, babe.